having that level of transparency and those types of things not only helps you reject really high quality talent into your company, whether it be a five to six person company or a you know $100,000 company, but also helps you to retain your top talent. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner. And I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs, and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. On today's show, I have Jason Richmond. He is the president and CEO and chief culture officer for Ideal Outcomes, a company that has developed remote learning programs for companies of all sizes. He is the author of Culture Spark, Five Steps to Ignite and Sustain Organizational Growth. And in that book, you deliver a five, a proven five-step plan that helps define, diagnose, plan, measure, and sustain an enterprising culture that breeds employees, achievement, and peak successes. And Mm -hmm. I am so fascinated about really diving into this method because this, I think, applies not just to organizations, but to everyday life. So... Um, welcome to the show, Jason. I am thrilled to have you with us. Excellent. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience today. It, uh, it, it, it excites me. It's, good. it's a good thing. Yeah. So how did you become an expert in, in culture or well, organizational culture and creating a place where employees can thrive? I mean, it goes way back to... Um, even in my even in my youth, I mean, I, I have always been someone driven by continuous learning, mm-hmm. and you know I've had a twenty five plus year career in organizational learning and development, uh, behavior change, skill development, and you know over the years of my career, you see all kinds of buzzwords or trends or techniques, but all of those put together, you know, I'm passionate about what makes what makes teams work, what make people work, what makes companies work. And, and to me, it's, it's this pocket of people that come together and behave in a very, very deliberate and a very authentic way to make organizations successful. And, and like you said, this goes into your personal life, your family life, the same principles apply inside and outside of work. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's what drawn me then to, to learning and development and help people grow and, and that whole concept of continuous learning, 25 years ago, I lived abroad in Australia, and since then I've lived in other countries. And it's just every leadership experience I have, good or bad, has a leadership moment or a leadership lesson. 
and working and thriving in so many different cultures, uh, not only just, you know, country cultures, but corporate cultures, you really get this passion for trying to understand other people, their thoughts, their ideas, what they can bring to the table. And, and that really what grounded me in, in culture. And that's what grounded me to do the, the two years of research and the hundreds and hundreds of interviews that I've did. And, and you know, the, the fact finding and, and the discovery work in re- regards to publish our book, Culture Spark. Yeah, so it's amazing. This culmination of a lifetime in your book. So it really is. Is there a secret sauce to having incredible, like the, what is the one thing? You know, I, five. I, I get asked this all the time and I, and, and, you know, is there any uh, common thread or common ground around, you know, high performing cultures? And, you know, in all my interviews and all my research, I did find a couple and, and the big one was authenticity. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't try to be someone you're not. And as a company, don't try to portray yourselves as something you're not, right? Because people, especially in today's world, with the heightened level of social media and media and, and reviews and all the different websites they go on and post their opinions, I mean, people see through authenticity and real dynamic cultures have a level of authenticity. And the other thing is transparency. And I get a lot of pushback once in a while when I talk to executive leaders and and organizational managers and leaders about transparency. And, and, and transparency is not communicating things you're not supposed to communicate, but it's, it's communicating in a way that illustrates that, you know, there's something in it for the other person, why things are important, be open and honest. If you can't answer a question or if it's confidential, then, you know, saying that is a transparent type of behavior. So out of all the leaders and managers and executives I dealt with in high-performing cultures, those two common themes, authenticity and transparency, just come screaming through all different steps. And when you, when you go down and really get involved with the individual contributors and you hear feedback about you know, managers and workplace culture and level engagement, some of the biggest disconnects in engagement surveys and engagement research are those two same things. Do you feel like by being transparent too, it opens up places for managers to be more proactive because they can hear in a different way and and at the same time gives the people that they're communicating with a space of understanding where if there's no transparency, then people are just making up their own stuff because they don't understand what's going on. Correct. You're, you're 100% on. And the, the other thing it does, and this is one of the reasons why sometimes this can be such a challenge in our communications, because being truly transparent opens up a door of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a subconscious behavioral leadership style, sometimes that's really hard for leaders or managers or executives to, to show that vulnerability. But in today's world, I think, that, I think that's what our world is made up of right now is the need to be more vulnerable right? Need to be more open, need to be more engaging and gathering other people's ideas and thought. That's, I think, one of the toughest things about being transparent all the time is it, it, it does kind of open up a little vulnerability. I got a really good friend that's a very high level executive coach and his name's also Jason, but he, he talks about his word is uh, intimacy, mm-hmm. right? that level in, in you know, vulnerability and, and intimacy, really letting people know who you are. 
I think people are craving that too yep. in this world that has even before COVID has been very disconnected and everybody just pops on social media and you know thinks that the grass is always greener and then you know, there's months of like hanging out by yourself and yep. in your house I think like those three things the transparency the authenticity and then just connecting is is and being vulnerable in that space are really really important so i'm curious why is that so important in creating the corporate culture is it really the communication piece I, I think it is the communication piece, but it, it's, also, it's also a differentiator in, in your organization to be viewed or perceived as one of the you know, top companies to come work for, top organizations to come work for. Right now in today's world, and this started years ago, you know, candidates interviewing and looking for a new career or career changes are interviewing companies just as much as companies are interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And year after year, research has showed you know, there's more and more questions, a higher percentage of people you interview are asking them about workplace culture. So having that level of transparency and those types of things not only helps you reject really high quality talent into your company, whether it be a five to six person company or a, you know, $100,000 company, but also helps you to retain your top talent. I'm curious too, like core values and mission and impact are a big part of just general day-to-day being, and it's what I teach um, my people. Do you think like identifying some of that is what helps both the employer and the employee determine what's a good fit and what's not? I do. Step one, step one in our model is define. And, and there's a big, big difference in getting in a boardroom and having a handful of people come up with 10 different leadership competencies and call them their values and put some definitions and send it out in a memo, which happens quite often. They put them on the wall. Right. And there's a big difference in doing that versus grabbing people from across the organization and getting their input and getting some type of communication from them or feeling from them about what the organization's value should be. And then we take it through a step of once those corporate values are established is it'll take it a level further and I call them culture drivers or culture pillars. So then what are the actual really culture pillars that support those co- company values? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a process of you know the defining stage, the first step of, of really reevaluating or evolving your culture. Right, well, and I think that's so important and people skip it. They do, and they, they go right into diagnose, which is the second step. Right. So they, 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 they go right, and, and you see it in, in engagement surveys, employee satisfaction surveys, culture surveys. They're all tools to get kind of a, a footprint or, or a template of you know, what the organization is like. And they're all very, very impactful tools, but it's what you do with the information from them tools to really dig deep to figure out, you know, diagnosing what we're currently dealing with right now and how aligned or disaligned is it with what we want it to be? So if you're skipping that piece <laughs> of defining, yeah. it's really hard to diagnose. It is. I think you don't know what you're diagnosing. That's right. 
a lot of times when smaller companies, mid-sized companies, there's three, four, five, six kind of top leaders, part of executive teams. And a lot of times I'll have one-on-one interviews with them and ask them to describe their culture. Prior to me breaking one-on-one, you know, I, I have a meeting with all of them and you know, there's a lot of times communication, we're all on the same page, we know where we're going, these are our values. But then one-on-one, when I ask them to describe the culture, a lot of times I get six different descriptions. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, throughout the whole organization, sometimes the the power of perception sometimes gets in our way of, you know, reality. How has all of this impacted organizational organizational culture of the new normal here from working from home? Harder. Yeah, I was to say, I think it's harder to stay connected even with Zoom and everything else, right? Like it's harder to stay on mission, keep yeah. those core values going and harder to diagnose and then implement change. It is because even some of the tools, if you were doing engagement surveys a year ago, a lot of organizations will do an annual engagement survey. Well, I would highly recommend a company now that has gone to a remote workforce, everyone working from home, not use the same engagement survey. Their circumstances have changed. Their environment hasn't right, changed. Right. right. The way you get input, the way they're the way they're evaluating engagement today is quite different than what they were measuring or what they were considering engagement a year ago. For instance, you probably remember, you know, starting over a couple of years ago, maybe even five years ago, a lot of organizations were were restructuring the inside of their buildings, getting rid of offices, making open workspace, bullpen space, cubicles all over. What's happening now? People that are coming to work, we're putting up glass walls, right. back to offices, separating. So that is impacted culture. <laughs> right? What 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 we were using as an avenue to build culture and drive culture, you know, a year ago isn't allowed in today's workplace. So we've right. got to do we got to do different things. How do you see kind of going from that open floor plan where there's, I would presume, a lot more background noise, but also less privacy to even if you're just putting up glass walls where you can yep. still see people, but there's still a separation. How do you see that affecting the culture of an organization? If we don't change our leadership styles or our leadership actions, I I think it becomes a communication wall. I think it becomes, I'm not going to say an excuse, but a, but, but a barrier or a reason, you know, why I don't communicate as much or as openly. Right. And, and I challenge leaders all the time. These situations, even if you're bringing back people into your office and it's a different format, or if they're working from home, leaders have to change in how they're communicating and engaging with their people one-on-ones are more important than ever, right? And I don't, I'm not talking about one-hour-long, one-on-one performance reviews. I'm talking about touch points and quick points and how are you doing it and what's going on in your life and taking a little bit of interest, you know, a higher level of interest in that person as an individual. Right. With some of those changes. But that's not inherent. You know, lead, that, that's not an inherent skill of a lot of leaders. And it, it, it's something that they you need to concentrate on that maybe they didn't have to do it as much a year ago. Right, right. And be aware, I would think of change in people's patterns so that they can know or be aware to reach out that something's different. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I, I always say with my clients, like if I 
don't hear from somebody who's usually kind of chatty or communicating, like I'm reaching out to find out what's going on because yeah. I don't know if it's that they're just super busy and they're crushing it or they're struggling. And I, same for employees. I think it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens. For somebody who you know is in a management position or is you know leading their business and they're looking at this differently, how can they start taking steps to become more aware of what they need to do to connect with people? I think any level of an organization, individual contributor to management or leadership can be a culture influencer. And an example when you know, individual contributors just with their peers and in their in their teams, you know, making more effort to at the end of a team meeting, let's take 10 minutes at the end and catch up on who's doing what. Let's take our team meetings now in Zoom and and if they're regular, you know, every like let's say we have a regular weekly team meeting. Well, you know, have have an individual contributor lead the last 10 minutes of the meeting about a topic that they feel important. I mean, these are just very simple things from the individual contributor level, you know, that that they can influence. Mm-hmm. As long as they keep it very positive, I'm a big believer that positivity um, is is absolutely an enthusiasm is even more contagious than negativity. Absolutely, everybody wants to feel good. I that's right. I yeah, that's right. So it, it you know and it's and and it gets difficult with the world we live in, the working from home or not you know not seeing a lot of times you know your friends almost these personal relationships you've built over the years taking advantage of technology and be purposeful about you know letting everybody contribute and participate how do you see you know the impact of working from home and it being more challenging like long term how do you think that'll impact business will we get back to working in person at some point in the future or i i think yes but i think this has made my personal opinion emmy is that this has made a permanent workplace structure change i think the the level of remote workforce is permanently changed. I think it's going to be permanently higher. Um, you're going to see more and more call centers and customer service positions with technology and, and structure at home. You're going to see a larger population stay working from home. Mm-hmm. I think that's a permanent change. I mean, having had a virtual business essentially my entire career at this point, I've been surprised that more people don't work from home because there's so many different ways to do it. And I think a lot of corporations are like, oh, this works and differently than we thought. One challenge I do see though, Emmy, is is, is a lot of times when, especially in, in the sales arena, in sales situations where so much a vendor relationship can be based on a relationship you build with people over time. I think that there is a potential challenge with especially professional services industries and things where some of some of their products and services people won't maintain that high level of touch points and relationships and it could commoditize it could have a tendency to commoditize some products and services that typically weren't viewed as a commodity before does that make sense yes i think that's going to be a long-term trend so salespeople are going to need to change their approach and work with organizations and with purchasing departments and, and, and department heads, that, that sales arena is going to change a little bit and they're going to have to adapt to that new world. Absolutely. It will be really interesting. And I think far more intentional is how we're all going to end up interacting, which yeah. maybe that's a really good thing long-term as well, yeah. is being more aware, having more communication, connecting again and spending time. 
After you've diagnosed whatever the problem is, how do you create a plan to improve your culture? Because while I think you can define culture, you can define what's important, it's still an abstract thing. It's not a box that you can pick up and shake. And, and, and how do you make that you know, more concrete? Part of our process is, is, especially when you get into that planning and execution stage and the measurement stages, is we like to recommend um, what we call a culture-influencing process where people from out the entire organization, from in contributors to leaders in small groups, and you can do this remotely and in person and so forth. But we introduce a whole bunch of different types of tools and techniques and things that they can do within the organization. Ideal Outcomes is a company that, you know, we're not going to come in and fix an organizational's culture, right? That, that There isn't anybody that can come in and fix that problem for somebody right, right. Right, or that challenge for somebody. We want to come in and work with dedicated or committed groups of what we call culture influencers that are coming with perceptions and, and opinions and, and input from all angles of the company or the business and put tools in their hands to go influence the people around them, mm -hmm. the people in their circle of influence, all in the same way to actually execute, not only develop the plan, but then execute that plan in regards to making changes. So one example would be uh, reviewing some policies and procedures. Maybe there's a policy and procedure that you've had in your organization forever, but in today's world, is that policy and procedure really relevant? So a culture committee, culture, culture influencer group would look at some of these policies and procedures and evaluate them and make sure they're aligned with what we defined and we want to do. So we work with, with groups of influencers and put time in between those engagements and have very specific outcomes that we were challenging them to go out and accomplish on their own. Does that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because like, I think that gives some solidity to the abstractness. Like this is how we're going to measure it and yeah. create it, et cetera. Yeah. What are the results that you've seen in some of the companies that you've worked with um, as you've helped them improve their culture with employee performance? Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see results uh, from a lot of different angles, depending on what groups or what, what you're really focusing on, but you'll, res you'll see results in lower turnover. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see results in higher level engagement scores within your organization. You might be able to see results in client retention or possibility of increased in in business with an existing client base additional like market share penetration right. uh, that's an outcome of, of of culture a culture focus you'll you'll also see a big influence in internal potential promotions or maybe movements within the within the company people have a better understanding of what other groups do what other divisions do what other you know sub departments do and, and you'll see a little bit of movement within your company, some cross-training opportunities and a higher level of effectiveness working together. For instance, IT and sales or manufacturing and IT, you know, that type of stuff. You'll see, you'll see a higher level collaboration amongst different departments. Okay. So a whole host of benefits. You could, yeah. I mean, culture impacts all of them. Right. It's like what, what in your plan do you really need to focus on? and you wouldn't focus on 10 of them. <laughs> right. Well, you can, but I'm not going to get the results. <laughs> Do you 
when you're working with your clients and let's say they do need help in all 10 areas, is it then identifying what are like the top two priorities or top three and then kind of trickle down effect? Exactly. And, you know, culture isn't a light switch. It's a journey. That's why we don't, we engage with an organization, you know, a day, a quarter or a couple half days every other month. And we take it in small bites and we let activity and, you know, deliberate things being done by them internally, you know, in small pieces. And again, the last thing you want to do is get in a room, work several days, come out with this thing and then say, okay, see ya. And it, it just becomes a flavor of the month type of thing. Right. right. We're more engaged in working with, with an organization over a long period of time and, you know, being that resource for them to help eventually and strategically evolve a culture to the way they want it to go. Because every company has a culture. And sometimes you'll get in there and you'll you'll help diagnose and stuff and they're right on track. That's value to some companies too, to make sure that their culture really is what they want it to be. Yeah, so how often do you suggest companies evaluate what their culture is and whether it's it's effective? I think any time's a good time, but a lot of times I think when there's there's big change, when there might be, you know, a big product change, there might be a big leadership change, but but just traditionally, if everything is kind of going along, you know, I mean, every eighteen months, every two years, I mean, really have a strategic initiative to take a look at your culture. And how do you feel culture can impact leadership in the way leaders are managing their people and or driving? the business to the next vision. So my my personal opinion is that, you know, that front level, middle manager level within any company, and again, talking about a company with 10 people, it could just be two, hundreds and hundreds of people. You got to level that frontline middle managers. I think they're the kingpin of culture. They are the mouthpiece to communicate up and down mm-hmm. and, and to be able to get input and feedback up and down. And I think their buy-in their unity, their, the front lines, I mean, their, their passion about the organizational's culture is critical to sustain any success in it at all. If you get people in that ranks with really high egos or someone that's rogue or someone that is going to run over people, and if, if there's a disconnect in those ranks, it's going to be really hard to sustain a really dynamic culture. And what has all of your experience with culture just taught you? I, I think all my experiences culture has taught me that there's not a silver bullet. There isn't one culture that fits everybody. Right. And it's not your culture will evolve as your company evolves. As your company goes through different stages, your culture is going to follow those stages. Regardless if you put any any intent or any work into your organizational culture, you will have one. But if you don't keep an eye on it and spend a little bit of effort, most likely it won't be the culture you want. It's like growing anything where you've got to water it and fertilize it and pay attention and it can't just be in the background and expect it to grow. Where can everybody get your book? Amazon.com and it is by uh, it is on, on audible.com too. Go to Amazon or Audible and search Culture Spark Jason Richmond. It's there. Awesome. And do you read the book for Audible? No, I did have a professional reader read it. I boy, I was torn about that decision, but I I did have I did have a uh, a professional read the book. What is next for you as we're moving into 2021 almost and well, what's what next is is we're taking our experiences over the last couple of years, um, our experiences in pivoting and transitioning to 
a new work reality, and we're working at uh, publishing a, a second book focused really more on culture in, in, in remote workforces and things, more, awesome. more tied to not so much about the process and tools and things, but more tied to today's reality and today's real environment. That's going to be really helpful for yeah, everybody. I'm excited about it. Do you have an estimated timeline when that'll be out? I'm hoping January. Thank yeah. you so much. Where can everybody find you? LinkedIn is, is great. Just Google Jason Richmond, Google Culture Spark or Ideal Outcomes Inc. Okay. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn. My website, culturespark.io, uh, has my email address and, and contact information. Yeah, check out, check out my website, www.culturespark.io. The IO is for ideal outcomes. Okay, well, and we'll get the link for the Amazon or for Amazon, but for your book and all your uh, details in the show notes as well, so people can just click one link at a time to connect with you. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been amazing, and I learned a ton. Um, and I'm already got little little wheels going on how I can improve the culture of my business with my team. So thank you. I'm really, truly grateful. It was a, a great pleasure. I very much appreciate uh, the time today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. And I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 